I was looking at those video shots and photos of people standing in line for hours to vote all over this country. And my child at the time was two and a half. So that just looked very overwhelming to me to try to vote, just to take part in what's the most basic right in our democracy. And it just got me thinking. I think it was three or four days after the election, I was standing in the kitchen and apparently I'd been a little quiet for a couple days. So I think my husband knew something was coming. (laughs) Some thought was about to come. And I looked up at him and I said, I want to start a nonprofit. I've searched the internet. I can't find anybody who's doing this. And I think somebody should. And then we can help people now. And hopefully we'll eventually make it the norm that just having childcare for people to be involved is how we operate. Every day, people face obstacles to civil engagement. It can be hard, if not impossible, to attend school board meetings or see a candidate debate or visit an elected official or even vote. There are both internal and external challenges to all of these activities, especially for working parents or someone who's an hourly employee. How can you make sure that basics, like even childcare, are covered? To help solve this problem, Attorney Rachel Sowray founded a nonpartisan nonprofit called Politicit, and it's our pleasure to have Rachel join us for a segment in our ongoing series. Rachel, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I just mentioned a little bit about Politicit, but I'd like to hear from you. How would you describe Politicit's mission? So in order to help parents become more engaged with the civics that are happening around them, we reimburse for childcare costs. So say a parent wants to go to a school board meeting, learn how to be an advocate, meet with a representative, they can contact us and we will then work with them to make sure that we take care of the childcare costs that they would need in order to attend that activity. We also work with groups or organizations that are going to provide the childcare at their site so that parents can come and be involved there with their childcare being very close by, and then we would reimburse that organization. So the idea is to make sure that parents are not facing the barrier of cost in order to be involved in their government, and to also make sure that they feel safe about the childcare that they are using while they're getting involved and making sure the world is a better place for themselves and their children and their families. What was it that that made you decide to start this organization? Well, um, after the November 2016 election, I was looking at those video shots and photos of people standing in line for hours to vote all over this country. And my child at the time was two and a half. So that just looked very overwhelming to me to try to vote with a two and a half year old by my side, standing in line, trying to entertain him for hours on end, just to take part in what's the most basic right in our democracy. And it just got me thinking that maybe not something I deal with here in Oregon, but it's something that not only do parents deal with in voting, but even more so, parents deal with that issue of how do they balance being parents and being civically engaged just on an everyday basis. So how do you go and take part in the government decisions that are being made if you can't afford more childcare because it is already very expensive? (laughs) Or even just taking a child to a government meeting can be hard because your focus is being split between ensuring that you're 
listening and engaged well with the meeting as well as your child who periodically is going to need things from you. So it seemed like one of the things that I could do is to eliminate the childcare cost barrier so that people could at least become more involved in the decision-making process. That way, when the government makes decisions for the community, they actually reflect what every community member actually needs and wants in order for them to have the type of life that they want. How did you come to start Politicit and how did you come to where you are now? I think it was three or four days after the election, I was standing in the kitchen and apparently I'd been a little quiet for a couple of days. So I think my husband knew something was coming, <laughs> some thought was about to come. And I looked up at him and I said, I want to start a nonprofit. I've searched the internet. I can't find anybody who's doing this. And I think somebody should. And then we can help people now. And hopefully we'll eventually make it the norm that just having childcare for people to be involved is how we operate. And he said, okay. And, I, and then <laughs> thankfully he said, how can I help? And so I had him, my sister and my brother-in-law all sit at a table at a pizza restaurant with me a few days later and brainstorm what's happening. It was helpful because my husband had been in banking previously. My sister has been in like advertising and nonprofit world. And my brother-in-law had even been a part of starting up a nonprofit previously in Pittsburgh. So I had this great brain trust to help me sort of figure it out. So it was really a matter of getting people interested and then talking to others and eventually just having the support of the people around me who were able to keep me going when I felt like I was really learning as I went and needing people to remind me that the cause was worth stumbling as I got going. <laughs> so logistically, how does it work? How do people find you? How do they get reimbursements? Well, hopefully they find us by an easy Google search <laughs> or by word of mouth. And all they really have to do is go to our website, fill out a form saying, this is what I want to do. This is how much my childcare will cost. And then I get back to them within 48 hours, letting them know if it's the type of activity that we do reimburse childcare for. And then they set up their childcare, go to the meeting, send back a certification form saying that they went to the meeting. And some of them also send me photos of themselves at these meetings, which always makes my day. <laughs> yes, I love seeing them actually there engaged. Um, and then I send out a check within 10 days or a PayPal reimbursement within 48 hours so that it's not a cost they're having to deal with for multiple days and worrying about how that's going to work in their bank account. That's fabulous. And what, what's the kind of reach that Politicit has? At the moment, we're in Oregon, and most of our clients are in the Portland metro area, but we have a good amount in Salem, Corvallis, and Eugene. And it's been, it's been really fun seeing how people have been using it. Some have been going to meet with legislators. Some have been using it to get involved and figure out how their government works and then run for office successfully afterwards, which was very exciting. Um, some have been doing it to get involved with being like on a board or commission that the government has to get citizens more involved and have them giving ideas of what certain things should look like in their communities. And we're slowly trying to get more and more clients throughout the entire state of Oregon. What impact have you seen Politicit have already? 
two of our former clients have run successfully and are now elected officials. And these moms are just killing it. So it's been neat seeing that transformation in some clients um, and see that it can be more than just going to a school board meeting once every other month. It can actually catapult people into doing bigger things. And as you're making those, those outreach efforts, what are some of the challenges that you've been facing? Well, I think some of it has been just getting into communities to speak to people in person. You know, often it sounds almost too good to be true. And so people question, (laughs) you know, is this for real or is it a scam? Um, So some of it is really about making connections within new communities so that those community members can then tell others about it and bring it on board. For example, one of the first people we worked with um, was in the Salem area, and then she started spreading it by word of mouth. And then she got another woman involved who is now a city councilor. And that city councilor then started trying to have it set up at her city council meetings that there would be childcare there. And, you know, so it was just sort of like this, this momentum that got it building. And so we're hoping that that will continue to work over time. You mentioned in Oregon, we've got vote by mail. So it seems like that should give us a a better benefit or a a leg up in some circumstances, but certainly not in all. Are there other states in which you've got uh, activities or partnerships to try to help facilitate voting? And and how does that also then tie in with, with the other activities that you have in Oregon? So, yes. So, Since we work generally with trying to get parents to meetings um, where they don't have childcare, COVID has created a situation where this year we haven't had a lot of work to do. And the silver lining to that was that it reminded me that the reason I started this was those voting lines. And so I have been able to take some time and start focusing Politicit on assisting parents in having childcare options if they want to go vote. So I have been contacting different childcare facilities in other states and seeing if they are willing to work with us to try to provide childcare for voting parents who need it. Much like how the YMCA had many sites open in 2016 for that purpose on election day, I'm just trying to create more momentum in that direction so that parents have a safe place for their children to play while they go stand in line and cast their ballots. One of the starting points for this this series of podcasts was in recognition and in honor of the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment and women finally winning the right to vote. And it it just seems like such a a noble cause to try to facilitate people going out to vote. Yeah, I agree, especially when we're seeing that generally and continuing through the studies we're seeing coming out this year, women do bear the overall load of childcare. And so it likely is going to impact their ability to vote or be otherwise involved even more than men. I can say from who I have um, as clients here in Oregon, it is 99% women who are using our services. I am anticipating that will be a higher number of women using our services to vote in other states. And so it really hopefully will ensure that that 19th Amendment is used by as many people as possible this year. And 
looking at the statistics, the double shift that women throughout the country are working, it's pretty staggering about what the split is between whatever people have at home and jobs and for working mothers in particular. I was intrigued to hear you say that it's it's 99% women. Are there, are there any restrictions at all, though, for the people that you will serve? The only real restrictions are on what types of activities they have to be. And then, of course, if it's clear that you are using the service in a way you shouldn't be, um, those are really the only restrictions. We try to make it as open for as many people as possible. I don't know what the financial barriers are for a person, and I'm not expecting you to give me a full financial disclosure in order to use this program. So I just try to do my own research to make sure that what I've been told appears to be true. That was a bad question on my part. I was all just happy about having done a bunch of research on this and being like, you know what? Really for working parents, this does fall disproportionately to women. So there needs to be a simple solution for people who are working parents who, especially single working parents who can't otherwise engage in civic activities. Yeah. Part of the reason a democracy works is because people are involved in helping make sure that the government's programs are working for them in the way that they need. And so making sure that every person is able to be part of that decision only makes our government, our democracy, and our communities stronger. So it seems that it should be part of our job to find ways to take down as many barriers as we possibly can to civic engagement, meetings with officials, being part of committees that are making those decisions with the government, and of course, voting where we need to still do that. So what's your favorite thing that you've done or heard someone else do, if not you, that convinced someone to vote? Um, gosh, convincing someone to vote. So the past few years, one of the things I really like to remind people about is that it's incredibly important to vote down the ballot. So many people focus on those national elections of the president, U.S. senators, U.S. congressmen and women, and then they don't necessarily go all the way down the ballot, whether it's because they don't know who to vote for or have run out of time, whatever it is. And so often it's those local politicians who are making the big decisions about your community and the programs here in the community, school board, maybe even local judges, things like that, because it makes a big impact on how the community functions. So we have all been quarantined. And uh, this spring, I put up a sign in my yard about who I was supporting and it was really fun because I had just about every neighbor on my block at some point stop me while I was in the yard and, of course, socially distanced, ask me, why is this sign in your yard? Why do you support this person? And so I was able to talk about why this local election mattered to me and why I was supporting that candidate. And it was really cool to hear afterwards that five or six of them came to me and said, I made sure to vote all the way down the ballot this time because... You reminded me how important that can be to simple things like funding of my school and making sure that efforts to end homelessness are addressed the way that I think are fair and that our criminal justice system is being represented by people who have the same values as I do. So 
I guess that's my most recent example of helping people get more involved in voting. And that can be daunting because those voting pamphlets can be thick and the ballots can be long. Yes. But every one of those elections or spots to fill is somebody asking for your vote for the approval to do the job that they think they can do better than anybody else for the community. Exactly. And it's important voters decide if they agree or not, because it could have an impact on them for many, many years. So when you vote and you're, you're voting all the way down the ballot, what's your voting ritual? My voting ritual has changed over time. The one thing that has remained throughout is I like to fill it out with some sort of nice beverage. But I always have something to sip on while I go through the ballot, uh, partly because it feels cozy, celebratory, and also, as you've mentioned, the ballots can be long, and I might need something to get me through a three-page ballot that day to really consider what all of the candidates have said. But recently, as my child has become old enough to really start to watch me, I've wanted to integrate him because one of the things I've learned is that one of the top three things that gets children to eventually become civically engaged and be voters in the future is to see their parents doing those things. Modeling behavior makes a big difference. So I've started in this past year having him sit down to sort of see what I'm doing and talk with him about what it is and why. And then usually the next day, at some point, he gets to walk down to the ballot box with me and put the ballot into the box for me, um, which is a fun because usually there are a bunch of other people there and they last time clapped for him, which just made him so happy. <laughs> so that's the newest part of the voting ritual. Hopefully people will clap for him when I turn in the November ballot. <laughs> that's a great way to get the 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 family involved in, in having it be like, this is what we do because voting is important. And even when they're young, they can participate or see what it's like to participate in voting rights. So what was it like for you growing up? Were there rituals that your family had? I don't know if there were rituals, but I will say in my family, voting is such a sacred act that it was very clear that if you didn't vote, you certainly shouldn't be complaining about what was going on. You might even be ostracized for a little bit for that choice of not taking part in the democracy. But it was an incredibly big deal. And we always, my sister and I were very clear on the fact that it was considered to be just part of your normal duties to be a part of keeping track of what was going on in the world that you could maybe be a part of um, in helping others and then also being part of the voting electorate. What will be the next step? What else is on the horizon? Well, my hope is that we will be able to secure some more childcare locations for voters. At the moment, we have two locations for Fort Worth and Arlington, Texas, through the Center for Transforming Lives. And I'm working with some other nonprofit child care facilities to try to set things up with them as well in Texas. I'm also speaking to places in other states. So my hope is we'll be able to generate as many child care facilities as is possible considering the COVID situation and see that it does help more people vote. 
And then after that, I am hoping that in the next couple years, we'll be able to generate enough funds that we can start hiring staff. I do this as my nights and weekends and lunch hours job, and it truly requires and deserves to have somebody who can be a little bit more focused during daytime hours. So that's my hope is that we'll be able to start making a bigger impact in Oregon and then outside of Oregon and hopefully just across the United States at some point. That is so cool. I got to tell you, (laughs) I think it's just great work that you're doing. I mean, the notion of starting a nonprofit, following through with it and keeping it going. I mean, it's a ton of work and thank you for for your involvement and your dedication to it because I think it's critically important and it's it's amazing to have service provided to people who are underserved and thank you. This has been an episode of Voting Now, Turning Rights into Reality, a new podcast series from the Oregon chapter of the Federal Bar Association in collaboration with the Oregon Historical Society. We focus on current and historical barriers to voting. Want to find out more? Hit subscribe to check out our episodes and visit the websites for the Oregon Historical Society at ohs.org and for the Oregon chapter of the Federal Bar Association at oregonfederalbarassociation.org. Celia Howes is the lead host and executive producer. Frayne Masters is our creative director. Miranda Schaefer is our producer and Gabriel Granillo is our senior editor. Special thanks to Fiona McCann. I'm Christopher Palanche. There will be a link to Politicit in the episode notes, but the organization is spelled P-O-L-I-T-I-S-I-T. Thank you for listening.